0: Welcome to the J2 Hub Podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sohota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So, welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. It's been a while since I recorded a podcast. I had a bit of a, a long run with podcasts where I recorded so many during lockdown and then suddenly I kind of ran dry. So, I had to get back on to the old podcast scene. And this person in particular that's on the podcast today, we've been trying to get together for a long, long time. I think it's probably been a couple of months now, back and forwards, getting meetings in the diary and then something happens and it cancels. But I'm so, so glad um, I've got her booked in today. So joining me today is another great candidate for the Women in Property series that I've been doing. Now, like I say, I'd always like to take full credit for this series, but I can't because it was a series that my wife has suggested that I do. She said to me, James, you know what? You're always talking to men. You're always talking to blokes. You need to get more women on the podcast because women do fantastic things as well. And I must say, over the last few months, every single lady that I've spoken to who's in property just has an amazing story. And... Uh, you know, I think you ladies need to shout about it a lot more because you just kind of you're behind the scenes and you just like to work in silent. You're like the silent assassin. You're in the back there, just doing some major projects, major deals, and you don't say nothing about it. And you have got the men there just saying, "Oh, I've got this conversion, that conversion, this conversion," um, just showing off. And you girls really don't do that. So lo and behold, today I'm joined by, sorry, joined by Davinda Sangera from Spot the Day. So welcome, Davinda. I'm so glad to have you on the J Two Hub podcast.
1: Thanks, James, for having me. It's been a while that we finally managed to connect and get together.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I'm going to kickstart. Most people ask to tell um, them a little bit about yourself, but I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to go straight in and ask you, why is it property for you and what is your ultimate end goal?
1: Why is property for me?
0: Yeah, why is it property for you and what is your ultimate end goal?
1: So... The thing that I love property, I love about property and it resonates with with me so much and like my, I guess my skill set is the ability to like work on projects for like a short period of time. And then you've got this amazing kind of property, which is generating you an income. So it's obviously the income that comes with it, which can mean freedom time freedom or just like life freedom so i i really really enjoy that aspect and then also just like being able to create hone into my creativity um and create like these funky hmos with different colors and designs so those are the two things i would definitely say time freedom and creativity
0: and what is say when you hang up your boots eventually what is the absolute end goal for you
1: so I don't even think it's eventually. I think it's soon. Um, doing, honestly, doing property. Really? Yeah, on it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so, doing project management of properties, I've realized how stressful it is. Like, especially, I do back to brick ripouts, right? So, I do these like horrible, horrible renovations where we completely renovate a house back to brick. And there's so many moving parts and so many things that you need to stay on top of. Then, as soon as the keys are given to the letting agent, it's like, boom, it's just another stress out of my head. Although I've had rats, things breaking down, boilers leaking, but those are just the buy to buy that happens in your family home anyway. So I can understand that. But I truly think the most passive form of income is to lend money. And that's what I want to do. I want to get to a stage where I'm lending my money and that I'm like earning a passive income from that. And actually when my angel investors say to me, where do you want to be in five years time? I'm like, I want to be you. Like I'll have my property portfolio that's, you know, bringing in the income. Um, but there's a point where like, I'm just, I'm kind of like done. (laughs) It's just been really stressful. There's been builder issues and a lot of horrible things that have happened and a lot of ruined relationships. And, um, maybe it was me as well. Like, you know, just letting it get to me, but the most passive form of earning income is just to lend it and get a monthly fixed rate return. So that's what I want to do.
0: Wow, I love that. I love that. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about project management later on and relationships with builders. But before we do that, tell everybody who Dave is. Now, I don't, you know what, the first time I heard of you, I just started calling you Dave, because I just thought that was your Dave. Your name was Dave. And also. I couldn't believe that you were Punjabi. I thought you were something <laughs> like Spanish. Like the first time I spoke to Ted, I was like, yeah, that Dave, that that, you know, that Spanish oriented sorry, European looking woman. He goes, What are you talking about, James? She's a <laughs> Punjabi girl. And I'm like, no, no way. So come on, tell us about yourself. Where were you before you got into property?
1: Bueno, yo hablo espanole, eh? y cuando estoy en España, oh, todo el mundo go. piensa que soy Española. <laughs> so you're not, the, you're not the only person to think that I'm Spanish or European. Um, yeah, no, I think I look really Punjabi. Obviously, I've got a very Punjabi name, Devinder, Devinder uh, yeah. <laughs> like But no, so who is Dave? So Dave is the nickname that was given to me by a friend, which I absolutely hated because it makes me sound like a white man sitting in a pub um which is okay but I'm an Indian girl (laughs) it makes me sound like a middle-aged white man and I'm definitely not that um but no so I um yeah just a Punjabi kind of you know from an immigrant family working class background um I was in banking for five years and then I moved into property and so, day
0: before you before you go into banking tell me about your school bit where were you before what were you like you know as you were growing up and getting into a career
1: yeah so I grew up in Hounslow in West London um went to a state school uh qualified for free school meals although I didn't ever get them because I was like begged my dad I don't want to be part of that crew um <laughs> you know like the council estate crew because I you know grew up in a nice road and I just didn't want that stigma um so dad would give me my two pound a day But yeah, like I, I was really active. I played loads of sports. I was on the debating team. I was gifted and talented. I did extra GCSEs, extra AS levels, um, like played every sport ran for my borough played like everything. Um, yeah. So it was very, very active, loved being busy. Um, even now I just love to have a hundred things going on at once. Um, I just love, love to be busy. So just did had loads of fingers in pies, love to be active. And, um, yeah, then I went to, did my A-levels at the same school, then, and I'm, you know, I've been thinking about this during the Black Lives Matter, like, thing that's been going on, I was actually so lucky that I went to, although I went to a really bad state school, I went to a really multicultural school, and my teachers that were white, and most of them were, they really valued education, and they, Mm -hmm. they pushed me to do better, and, like they just you know I love that I had amazing teachers that and that really drove and pushed people that like could it could succeed so yeah credit to that um and then I went to university so I studied mathematics um as it was like the subject that really appealed to me the logical side of my brain um I love finding x um when I got to university I well, finding x became like a thing of the past that you do in your a levels and it was all became about regurgitating proofs and I nearly failed my degree but I didn't <laughs> I managed to do it in three years I didn't even fail a year thankfully um so did it in um, my got a two, but um this was the t- I graduated in 2009 so it was when like the world was collapsing, bare Bear sterns had collapsed. Like, you know, it was just the financial crash. So my job offer that I had with Deloitte, so I'd done a summer internship. Again, fingers in pies. I was always doing loads of different things. I was looking at what I can do in my summers. Worked seven days a week um, in my summers. Um, yeah, did loads of different things. Like, you know, did charity jobs living in Oxford. Um, did mm-hmm. army stuff. I, that was a big part of my university life as well. I did this OTC thing. So I was part of the like British army I guess you're affiliated with them although you're technically not one of like the officers or soldiers um but although I got paid taxpayers dollars to do that so I had five streams of income when I was at university um which is mental because there's more than I have now (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so that was that university graduated and then I um had all these like aspirations of things I want to do getting rejected from Deloitte from the graduate offer was probably the best thing that happened to me Um, because then I then um, went traveling to 15 countries in 2010 and then I moved to Spain and I lived with a Spanish family who are a very big part of my life even now my Spanish mum has come and stayed in my family home and been to family weddings and she's come to India so is my Spanish cousin and my Spanish musty, who technically are not my blood relatives but you know it feels like we are and I stay with them all the time in Spain so that was the connection um with Spain and obviously I learned Spanish whilst I was living with them and then I moved to New York and that's when I started like my banking my banking career
0: wow so you your your banking actually started so you went over to New York what and you got a job there or
1: you yeah i a... applied i'd applied for a graduate program which sends out u k graduates to the u s for a year um mm-hmm. and i uh, got a role at Deutsche Bank and it was meant to be like a year and you stay at that company, but my manager ended up leaving two months into like my graduate year program, so I kind of like kept pestering the the like the organisers to get me another role I was like I I'm doing nothing and then I moved to UBS so I ended up having two experiences at one at Deutsche Bank one at UBS um and the UBS role was just amazing it was the reason why I then ended up getting uh the treasury desk role which is when I was a trader um back in London um so yeah so that was that was quite good
0: do you want to tell me something, is banking as glamorous as people make out to be? You know, you see people talking about being a trader, being a banker, I do this, I do that. I've always seen it as being quite a uh, quite a nice, high-flying career and people are just out in posh restaurants at lunchtime having a great time meeting with clients. Um, is it is it like that or is it totally different?
1: There are aspects that are like that. Um, I'm definitely way too young to know what it was like to the glamour so I started working I went into banking and especially on the trading floor in 2013 and this is when like all the banks were having LIBOR scandals and paying fines so there was so much you couldn't do you couldn't do the client dinners now you know anything over 25 pounds I think it was or 50 pounds you had to like tell your team um or you had to tell like the the head of the team that this was coming from a client so regulation had come in loads of scandals had come in so I worked with some of these dinosaurs I call them that had been at the bank for 27 and 32 years and they would say it life isn't like what it used to be we used to have a lot more you know a lot more ability to kind of make our own decisions but so when I then came in I was just way too young there was just so much higher like kind of regulation and things that had to be done so i really get to see the glamour there are aspects of it obviously like you get paid for drinks and stuff and you know like dinners and things but that's like you know once a quarter you know it's not really the day-to-day um I actually work also on the treasury desk so which means like I was the bank's bank so every other desk like so if it's like metals fx trading they would come to my desk to get uh to get money because my My desk controlled all the bank accounts. So like over 70 bank accounts. And my desk also set libel, which was really like stressful as well. It was like an hour and a half of like stress. Um, And obviously libel was quite a big thing. And there was all those fines. I think the bank that I worked for, um, I mean, I don't mind saying it. I feel sometimes a little bit naughty. It was HSBC. I think they were the only bank that didn't pay a fine during the libel scandal. So wow, there was loads of British banks that did. I mean, they had fines for other things. Don't get me (laughs) wrong. um but yeah just for libel there wasn't and there were you know people were just getting fired left right and center so when you're kind of in that environment you're just nervous you're more scared you know like everything gets scrutinized um you know you have to justify everything like sometimes I wouldn't make the best decision and I'd have to justify it to my manager and I'd say well at the time this is why I did it a b c x y z and it was like okay fine that was the most rational decision or next time could you think about this i'm like yeah i didn't think about that so it was just always like you know executing making decisions like then and there and then hoping for the best that they didn't go wrong
0: I mean the clo- the closest I ever got to a trading floor was I remember when I was in school and I did work experience at British Telecom. Okay. And this is going this is in the mid mid 90s 90 probably 97 96 and we actually went onto a trading floor with a BT engineer because something had gone wrong and it was those days when I think computers were just kicking in in a big way. So there were still bits of paper everywhere. I still remember these days when we were going on this floor and fixing telephone lines and I'm reeling a line in. And I, even back then, I remember it being such an amazing, vibrant place of energy. But yeah. I guess you missed out on that bit.
1: I missed out on that. Even, like the senior traders would be like, yeah, we used to smoke cigarettes in the in the office. <laughs> We'd be shouting at each other. There'd be all this ruckus. But yeah, it was just all like, you know, online. And even like the programs that you'd be using they would catch you out if you inputted a trade incorrectly. Whereas, can you imagine, like before those systems? So you, they're just parameters everywhere. You just can't go wrong. Um, so it yeah. made it a lot more easier. There was just so much more regulation. You're always being scrutinised for things. So yeah, I was just too young. I didn't. I didn't see that environment. Um, it was all electronic and kind of like pushing buttons on com- on six computer screens. <laughs> That's <laughs> what it was like
0: to me. So tell me at what point did you think you know what I've had enough of banking I'm out of it I'm on my bike I'm going to do what I want to do where did the transition come um from banking into property
1: so I think there's there's two things the first one is um after I graduated when I did those 15 countries in 2010 one of the things that I did um there were loads that not loads but there were quite a few graduate like um, go abroad programs and you had to fit a criteria so if you were from a lower income family so had received a full grant for university or some maintenance and stuff and like your parents income was you know certain lower than a certain amount and I ticked all the boxes um you know ethnic minority woman I'm sure like all of those played about it um I went on this um, expedition with Rally International um, to Costa Rica Nicaragua now Rally, they they do quite a they're quite a big presence um, even Prince William and Kate Middleton did them separately before they went to university but so it's usually for pre-university people but they had this program where they were supporting graduates because I graduated during a time where it was just you know, awful. And there were no jobs for the graduate market. And so I did these three months in Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And it just, it changed my perception on the meaning of Mm -hmm. like life, like things that I would care about like straightening my hair um or you know what pair of jeans go with this oh oh oh, my jeans don't fit it didn't really matter when I was living with a family in Nicaragua where they had a toilet in their garden and the chickens would come into the house and one of the sons slept on top of the table of the kitchen you know and that was so so humbling and I was like I you know I would think about my house. With like the three bathrooms and all the taps of water that you know you could just get free water, like they literally had a well which they 'd have to get the water out to to shower, and you showered in the garden and that was so hum- I loved it it was so like just a not a humbling experience, and it really put into perspective it was really weird because obviously being from india and i 've gone to Punjab loads of times um with the family as a, as a young kid it's different when you are actually experiencing what other people are living. Because even when I went to Punjab, I've never even sat on public transport, even now Mm -hmm. at 32 years of age. And I'd always go back to the parents' house, which, you know, like has like eight bathrooms has eight ensuite bathrooms.
0: Wow. You don't know what you've listened. You don't know what you've missed. If you haven't been on public transport in Punjab. I
1: know. So even my India life, like, although you see poverty it's still, (laughs) it's still removed. It's so distant from you. Right. And so, um, and it was weird it was like actually experiencing like this poverty um and yeah and like i don't know i just i feel like i was always too worlds. like being indian i always felt like you know in comparison to india we were like we had like were kings and queens but then when i came to the uk when i came to the uk i've always been in the uk but in the uk because i qualify for free school meals and i went to a state school blah blah the government and the world was telling me well you qualify for all this you're poor but I didn't ever feel poor. You know, there was always a disconnect of the two worlds that I come from. Um, but so going back to your question, um, why leaving banking? So I did rally in 2010 and I always felt that sense of like, I wanted to do something meaningful with my life. And even if it meant impacting one person, that's just one in a positive way. That's just one person. But then there's also like, I'm the first person in my family to go to university and get a degree. Um, and my mum, who was born and brought up in India, her thing was always like education, education. And it was like, oh, get a nice job. You can wear nice suits. And sometimes, you you know, you you go, you, I'm doing a maths degree. All my friends are applying for banking jobs. It just seems, you're keeping up with the Joneses, right? It just seems like it's the natural progression. And then like, when I was there, it's like, okay, this is like really fun. I've achieved probably like the maximum that I would for somebody of my background and caliber. But is this life, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Am I going to do this with 27 and 30? Do I want to be like the senior trader that's been here for 27 years? Like I don't aspire to be like him actually. If I turned out like that, I would want to slip my wrist. Like that's an awful person. I don't want to be like that's not my ideal role role model. And so it was just being in that environment I just realized like the, I, I mean, I had amazing women managers. That was really lovely. Like having inspiring women. My managers were only women. I had two, and they were women, and they were both so young and both inspirational. So you kind of get caught up, like you want to be like this, and then you're like, no, I don't want to be. You. You're not my role model. Actually, everything that you represent in your life, like I would hate if my life was like yours, even in you know three years time, in four years time. And so, kind of like thinking about that was the re- was the reason why it was easy for me to leave, just because it was like I don't want my life to represent this.
0: So, Davinda, tell me about your first property project then. How did you go about it? How did you find it? What was it?
1: Yeah, so um, when obviously I was in banking and I realised that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life, um, I was also very aware that my remuneration was the highest it was ever going to be if I stayed like, in the corporate sector. So I think in life, you always go forwards, not backwards, even if that means remuneration. And so I was like, okay, how do I sow the seeds to make sure that when I leave banking, I'm not piss poor, right? <laughs> so I'm not, like, I'm not like, you know, scraping together because I'd, I'd now achieved this quality of life. I was going away 12 times a year. I loved traveling. And um, I never had to think about money the way that my parents had to Um and it was that freedom um that comes with having a decent salary. And so I um my grandparents actually, my granddad is a landlord, so he owns property. Um and I was aware of this, you know, like oh property, everyone does it, secondary income. And I knew of people like Indian uncles that were just only (laughs) landlords, (laughs) you know, and that were only landlords and that's all they did. And I just thought, okay, well, I've got this decent salary, let me maximize this as much as I can before I leave banking to do whatever it was I wanted to do, which was saving the world, we'll come back to that in a second, and so I was like, okay, I, I was became obsessed with wanting to buy a property, I was so obsessed, I was like saving up every penny, um, and just like, I had this big goal, and because I had this big goal, it was the motivating factor for, for me to, keep being in banking. Cause it was like, I now have this amazing goal. I have to buy this property and I have to utilize my salary, um, to get as much mortgage as I can. Um, okay. And so I worked backwards. I got my decision in principle. I then realized like, okay, what I, my affordability was, um, I wanted to get somewhere halfway between central London and my parents' house. Cause I thought oh, I'll always work. It was kind of like, I'd always work in the city, although I was kind of planning to leave. So you kind of want to, you want to hedge your bets and you want to pave the stone so that you can come open the doors to gates that you might have closed, but not permanently. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it was kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, let's do this. Um, so I started looking in Putney, Wandsworth, Ellsville, Wimbledon area. And then it just went to Wandsworth because of the affordability. You get a bit more money, a bit more bang for your buck there. Um, a bit more like, you know, properties for the sizes and the price. And then just found this, I went to like 50 viewings, found this property that was, had a little bit of potential um, and that was my first project. So I bought that in 2016 i completed in february it was my buy to let so i didn't you know play the residence card and then convert it to a buy to let later i um i was also aware that i didn't want to do things that might shoot myself in the foot because i was in the banking industry and a lot of, traders of, course, were of course, Losing yeah. jobs for doing things and you know like you read about it in the news in city am whatever it was called like the free paper um a a banking official that was on like a six figure salary didn't pay his train tickets for three years and then got fined and then got like lost his job and I was like oh it's just not worth it you know for an extra couple of grand so I did the buy to let and thankfully I completed on my house six weeks before Um, George Osborne brought in that rule of like um, the extra, the stamp duty. So Mm -hmm. I actually then paid like just the normal amount of stamp duty, thankfully, because I didn't complete six weeks later. So that was my first project. It was a two bed flat. Um, On the viewing, the the agent had told me that um, the flat that sold below had a stud wall between the dead space of the dining area and turned it into third bedroom. So I knew instantly I was going to do that. Um, I'm one of those people that just, I just talk to everyone. I talk to people on the tube, I'm one of those annoying people. <laughs> so I like, when I bought this property, I like went around, knocked on all, like there's eight flats in the building, knocked on the doors. And I was like, hi, I'm Davinda I've just bought the flat. Um, can I just have a look at your, (laughs) at your flat? Like it's really just, and I'd invite them in to see mine. I'm like, it's really disgusting, you know, but can I get some inspiration? So I got inspiration from just Mm -hmm. the flats in my, in my block. Um, And yeah, just made friends that way. You know, if I needed a plug lead, I go and knock on auntie and uncle and black one. (laughs) <laughs> oh
0: well you had an auntie and uncle yeah
1: there's an auntie and uncle that live in flat one as well that's yeah. been there for like over 35 years so it's worked out really well like you know they'll recognize me i haven't been to that flat for like probably three years now but um yeah it's just you know ticking along in the background it's my most passive uh passive like property income and i love it um but yeah i don't do anything um it. did that you did you,
0: did you add value to that one then you're saying
1: yeah did so, you turn- yeah, so I, I bought it as a two bed and then i turned it into a three bed and mm-hmm. then uh, because I added this stud wall between the dining area and the, and the, well, and the kitchen, created a new, I had to get builders in that did work for three weeks, created a new entry for the kitchen, completely remodeled the kitchen um, and then just ripped out the horrible like cream carpet, put in wooden flooring and then just liquor paint everywhere to like white rather than the magnolia. So yeah, turned it from a two bed into a three bed and then actually it got used as a four bed because the living room was separate to the kitchen um, so, I've always had rent to rent companies that have managed it as a four bed. And I love it because if I was to rent it as a three bed, the three bed income I would get is less than what I get as a four bed to giving it to a rent to rent company, and they manage everything and like Mm do all of that you know I don't even do like the gas safety or the electrical certs and stuff so it's super super easy it's so you
0: you make it you make it sound really really easy I just want to kind of come back a little bit because this is your first project you've bought it you've ripped it apart you've made it into a free bed I didn't rip it
1: apart I didn't rip it apart okay you,
0: you put a wall but you still remodeled the kitchen now yeah this is someone who's come straight from banking got no building experience no nothing I'm guessing you didn't know about builders at that time. Were you finally
1: building? But I've always been, it's interesting, but I've always been quite savvy with things. So I remember being at the house, being at the flat on a weekend. So we must've completed on a Tuesday. And I was with my granddad and my granddad had driven um, in his car and we'd got to the flat and I was meeting a builder. I I don't know what I was, maybe I wasn't meeting anybody. Um, but I was meeting a builder and my granddad was there. And I got, I then went on like, I was like, well, why am I here? And just meeting one, let me meet others. I started going online. I started calling loads and I got three to turn up or maybe four to turn up that day in the space of three hours that I was going to be there with my granddad. And two of them were Indian ones. And one was this Polish guy. And even my granddad was like, you're hiring the Polish guy. And he was the most expensive. He pulled out his notepad. He had like, Um, a measuring tape. And he was the only one that did that. And I just got that sense of like, okay, this guy's going to like walk me through it. So I didn't go for the cheapest. I went for the one that I was the most comfortable with. And I also had my granddad who'd met the Indian ones, was speaking fluent Punjabi and I was too. And I just didn't feel comfortable with what they were saying, you know, and I felt more comfortable with the Polish guy. And I was like, right, I'm giving him my business. He's a little bit more. I didn't negotiate it because I didn't know anything about that. I had done no property courses. I was very arrogant, very like much... Oh I you know I'm a trader everyone does this you know I, I can do this um mm-hmm. very much on my high horse big ego uh which is definitely like gone or hopefully <laughs> it's going um <laughs> since then so um yeah so now it's like obviously like negotiating and you know you realize that like, the first like price that they give you isn't always the true price but yeah you know there were loads of learnings so I made 35,000 pounds worth of mistakes on the first project but I realized that with hindsight after doing these courses I'm like Okay, you do pay for your education in one way or another. Wow!
0: Wow! Thirty-five grand on your first one, yeah.
1: Yeah. What kind of
0: mistakes did you make?
1: So I definitely bought it twenty-five thousand pound more than what I should have. Okay. That was um, that was definitely it. Uh, like I jumped from four twenty-five to four fifty-two. Like you serious? Yeah. Just like that. Just like that. Wow that's 25 wow. grand, you know, and I, uh, the agent was just playing a game. I know that now, but at the time, obviously I was like, I want this house. So I just jumped from 4, 50, 425 to four fifty-three, yeah. And so that was 20, 27 grand actually. And then 10 grand, because although the renovation only took three weeks, um, from me buying the property to getting the first tenant in, it was five months. And so that's, and obviously it gets rented at 2000 pounds a month. So if I think of that as like two grand a month, that's 10 grand when actually it should have just taken a month. You know, I should have, yeah. I should have lined up the builders before I completed. I should have had them come over to the property the day that I changed the locks, like, you know, met them then and there, um, or that weekend. And I should have instructed a builder straight away and got them to work. I just, didn't do any of that I just wasn't aware I was working full-time and I remember being really really stressed out um you know me and my cousin my cousin helped me paint it she took a day of work I took a day of work mum and dad came and did part my dad's actually Mormon so he did his like Christian prayer like my family my bubby bubby mum and grandparents and mum did as well so that was quite funny um but I just I wasn't aggressive with the marketing you know and I just thought oh it's a flat it's gonna get traction and it really didn't and so um it stayed online for a while which is weird because I'm so aggressive right now like I have Mm -hmm. tenants I know tenant is moving in, say like you know the first of August and I'm like to my builders you have 10 days to finish this house and they're like we are doing the extension. We haven't even got the kitchen in. I'm like, I don't care. I've got a tenant moving in first of all. And I, I make us work all towards a deadline. Right. And, and this does happen. It happens. Whereas like, obviously I was just had a full-time job. I was thinking, oh, the mortgage is only 500 pounds. I can afford this from my salary. Of course I could afford it from my salary, but I wasn't that entrepreneur. I wasn't thinking like of all of those things that you think about when you are in property full-time.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me when did the when did the HMO start coming in because there's no doubt you're known for HMOs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was my alert, So obviously not a HMO. Um so when I left banking in ended up being February 2017 and I um I actually wasn't going into property. I left banking to go save the world. So I wanted to um work in international development. I had a job interview in Tanzania for an American NGO that was working with farmers that introduced western plant seeding techniques to farmers that then they are, they are able to grow more crop. In the same acre of land that they have it was an amazing business model and just I flew out there and so really like loved the team and stuff but I was trying to run away from banking and like anything seemed better than nothing and I like I thought that this Tanzania role was the thing that I was supposed to do and it wasn't I mean I didn't even end up getting it there was someone else on the interview that was a lot more um versed in that kind of like field and he'd also been living in Tanzania for over a year whereas I was kind of like the one that they take a gamble on so I didn't get the role and that again was a blessing in disguise but I was like I really want to add value I want like to people's lives I want to like life and community and society and so the crisis that the world was dealing with at the moment which you know like they still are which obviously doesn't really come about in the news at the moment um was a refugee situation so I had like this kind of like weird affiliation to the refugee situation and so um, I started exploring opportunities and pairing up with grass with organizations that go to Greece so I then I left banking like 28th of February and three weeks later I was in Greece um, like well with this small grassroots organization called the Worldwide Tribe and um, just was there and I was supposed to be there for about three months maybe six you know if I really enjoyed it I broke my wrist on day two so one of the refugees yeah broke my wrist and well I was playing football I was in goal and there was me thinking I'm the hero that I could save this ball and just clean cut like like just fracture never broken a bone in my body considering I like jumped out of planes and done weird army stuff but yeah broke my bone uh broke my wrist doing that came back home after five days but whilst I was there I was reading Rich Dad Poor Dad the book I'd never read the book before Mm -hmm. so it's March 2017, and because I'm reading this book, the algorithms on social media are popping up to me. So I then went on a freebie two day, like a two hour thing and then went to a three day and that was how I got stumbled into property. And so actually, like when I left banking, it wasn't to do property. I left banking to do like meaningful stuff. I already had my one property ticking in the background that was giving me my income. I had managed to negotiate a redundancy package. I don't know how because I was the youngest trader on my desk and the team were hiring. So they don't do that. But I managed to like, yeah, just, you know, work my magic. Um, And yeah, so I had a bit, I had a pot. And I, I was very aware that this pot was going to like diminish pretty soon right like until unless I bought did something creative with it um and start buying some more properties but now like my pot was really small I didn't have the salary and the for- mortgage and the affordability but I had this one investment property um and it, and by the time I left banking I'd had it for about a year now um and so uh when I like started doing the property courses and then I was just like yeah I can do this I can raise money from investors not from my family but I'm sure there's people you know I just I just knew I just believed in my heart I could do it and I could be successful at it and I was like yeah I can do this I can do like do this and so I went on these property courses met a property mentor and you know like they teach you these buy to lets plus 200 plus 250 pound that's amazing right like any time that you're increasing your income but I was like uh, I need to get my salary back as quickly as possible, and I'm not going to do that with 200 pounds. <laughs> on top of that, my net, my net income, my net cash flow on my Wandsworth flat is 1500, 1600. I need something to equivalent of that. Okay, yeah, I bought nearly a half a million pound flat, and I pumped a lot of, like, capital into it but I was like, okay, I just, I need something, the equivalent. So HMOs just seemed like the natural step. And I was like, I'm not doing these bite lets. I'm not doing a 200 pound strategy. It just just wasn't for me just from, Mm -hmm. from what I had done. If I was 10 years younger you know and if I was like maybe even seven years younger 100% you know like you you make all your mistakes all your learnings from the first one but I wasn't I was a little bit older and I just wanted was so adamant that I wanted to do the next thing let me just do property make my income um so that's where you've caught me you've caught me at this property thing so when you asked me where at the beginning where do you see yourself where's the end goal the end goal was never property this is just the time past <laughs> stopgap goal right and then I'm going to do the thing that I'm going to be amazing at and that's going to be the thing that Devinda that people recognize Devinda for not the banking the trader stuff and the property mm. stuff that's just a, a small part of what I've done it's just the thing that I'm doing for now for the time being um so yeah so yeah that was it I guess do you know um, do you know
0: what I love everything here that you said so you started in banking which meant you were dealing with money right yeah. you then go on a property course and the first thing you think is I can raise money from investors. Yeah. And now your end goal is I want to lend money. I
1: want to lend money. Yeah. So it's,
0: all, it's just been money, 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 like full circle.
1: Yeah. It's just full circle. Yeah. I'm like, I want to lend my money. That is, I want a little Devinder coming along, showing me the business plan and wowing me away. And yeah. And that's what I want to Same. do. There you go. I, that's I, my I, cash. I don't know whether I should say this, I don't know. Um, so although I've done like, I've done a, you know, it's all on my social media. Like when I did PP and Knightsbridge, it was like nearly raised a million pounds from investor finance. Um, I've never given charges to any of my investors. Wow. Ever.
0: Do you think, do you think that's because you're quite a likable person? So I just think people invest in people.
1: Yes. Yes. So James, like I've had more nos than I've had yeses. I'm so vocal about this, right? But every no, every failure is a chance to reinvent yourself. I love failures. I've had my biggest successes from failures. When I got rejected from Deloitte, I went and traveled the world. I now speak Spanish because I got rejected from Deloitte. You know, um, when I failed at banking, so what I failed to tell you, although I was mentally checking out of banking, it became so apparent that I was mentally checking out of banking, my manager put me on a performance improvement plan, a pip. She was like, <laughs> What are you doing? She was like, What are you doing? She took me into a meeting, what are you doing? And I was like, in my head, I was like she correlated, She was like since the summer and I'm like yeah I completed on my flat in February I got tenants in July I mentally checked out in July as soon as I got a second stream of income and yeah. so I failed at banking right and because I failed I reinvented myself and did property and I love that like I love failures every no has been a yes it's so funny I am um, I had two investors that wanted to lend to me they came and met me in my investment area took them around my properties one was 50,000, one was 10,000. Um, they both didn't end up investing with me, right? It was the irony. And I was like, what did I do? What did I say? I took them around my projects. Then the next investor, um, I got introduced to, to a network. So I was saying, oh, I like need some funds. So I got, got introduced to by an introducer who I also paid them 1% off the loan size. Um, spoke on the phone. We met up for coffee. There were a couple. There were a couple that had... Also, property investors um, and had sold an investments so had a bit of capital wanted to obviously utilize it further. They had been burnt ten years prior, and the only reason they were able to get their money up was because they had a second charge on this property. I managed to convince them to lend me one hundred and thirty thousand pound with no charge, and they didn't even step foot into my properties. And wow. I just and I changed the narrative. I instead of talking about my projects and the numbers of my properties. I was talking about me. I was like, I live at home with my grandparents. Yeah. I'm inspired by my grandparents. You know, they like live this amazing life. Like they're both retired from British areas and all they do is go on holidays. And my granddad's got two investment properties. That's what I want to be like. That's my role model. And they were like, just, and I never spoke about that before. You know, I didn't talk about the Yeah. I come from a working class background and like, you know, I qualify for free school meals and I just didn't talk about those challenges and those things. I was talking, I was focusing on with the two investors about the property. Like, look how amazing I am. Look what I'm doing. And I didn't share my story. And then as soon as I started sharing my story, it resonates with people. Um, And I guess like the rags to riches story, right? Which everyone loves to hear. Um, So, yeah, so I stopped talking about property and my projects and just started talking about me. And then I started talking, asking them questions about them. And I was like, oh, tell me about your daughters. Oh, what university are they going to? So I just changed my conversation and it just, I made real connections with the real people you know rather than like
0: superficial ones yeah no I think that's great because at the end of the day you're right people I found it people invest in the person you know you could have a blinding deal where they're going to make 200 grand profit say to say you know or whatever but if they don't like you if they don't like what you're saying if they're not feeling that positive energy coming from you or that aura from you you can kiss that investment goodbye you know I like like yourself I've had family members that have invested in projects and they've always been like I've been like do you need some kind of contract? Let's sign a contract. Let's get you a charger. They're like, no, we're investing in you, yeah. you as a person. And like you say, they don't, they, they like to hear about the project, but they don't need to come and see it. They need, don't need to see what stage it's at. And it's very much like um, you as a person
1: yeah,
0: that they invest in. I want to ask you something. So when you're raising, raising money, I'm guessing now you find it pretty simple, right?
1: um yeah investors find me more than I go chasing for them now.
0: okay okay and that has always like because you said it quite early on you said when you went on a property course that was the number one thing that stuck out for you was I can raise money
1: yeah I had to because I was like starting at a place of zero right although I had this little pot because obviously I had a redundancy payout I then used that little pot to invest in courses in property education so I started at zero I'm like, mm-hmm. I have nothing now. I have no capital. I started from a place of zero and I started from a place of capital zero, but I had this half a million pound property, right? Mm-hmm. Which had equity in it. And so so that that was the thing that like was going for me and I'd done it once. And so I was just, I just knew I could, I just had this like feeling. I was like, I'm I'm just going to be so like, I'm going to do be so good at this. I know it. I know it because I'm going to, you know, I, I, we said this before we started recording. I have this, absolute feeling and belief that I can be whatever I want to do. So if I want to be the prime minister of the UK, I'm going to be, be it. If I want to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor. And I believe that about every single person, every single person that I talk to, whether, you know, it's a little kid or it's someone and you hear their limiting beliefs and you're like, but what's stopping you? What's stopping you? And then it's like, no, you can, you can be so many, like if people just change their mindset, they can be whatever they want to be. And, that, and that's it. So I just have this belief and this confidence and this aggressiveness to pursue and chase after my goals. And I I feel like if everyone had that. Like, it'd be amazing because we'd all be doing our passion. We'd all be doing the thing that we're passionate about rather than the thing that we've got stuck in doing. Um. And so I just had this belief that I was going to be good at it. It was the only thing I was doing. I was like, well, I freaking have to because... I'm doing nothing. I'm literally, I've got a broken wrist. I'm sitting at home, you know, mum's washing my hair over the bath, you know, and then I jump in the shower myself um, and I'm looking after my niece and nephew. I'm like, I've got, I've got to do something with my time and life. No, so, do yeah. you know
0: what? I really love that outlook on life because like yourself, man, I've had quite a few failures myself. And A few years, most recently, I lost my business where I went completely, you know, I, I was there rock bottom. Gone from living quite a high lifestyle, watching all my cars being repossessed, no money, Mm. and just gone from a real nice lifestyle to boom, straight down. And my story, I always call it from liquidation to liquid because it took me a long, long time to rebuild myself up again. But like what you say there, and I really resonate with it, is you can do whatever you want to do. You know, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve as long as you put your mind to it. And this is what I tell people that are coming up new in property. I'm, not, I'm always willing to talk to someone because I think yeah. when I started, there were so many people willing to help, yeah. so many people willing to go out of their way. And I know there's particular people that don't want to give up their time, but I'm, I'm always for it. I'm always for talking to people because all it takes is for someone like yourself or me or someone who's been in property for a while now – to inspire them to give them that kind of kick up their ass just to go out there and do it um and I you know I'm really taken back by what you say like you know you could be anything you want to be because I I feel totally the same as you on that whole aspect and that whole outlook you just need to say yes and tell yourself you can do it and then switch your mindset and off you go
1: dedication motivation and that drive that's it um I have a theory so um maybe you agree with me or you won't. Um, So one of my theories, and it's something that I keep in the back of my head um, all the time, is what you said about having conversations with people. So I have this theory that I can help, That like you can get value from any single person, right? Even if it's a little baby, they can teach you something. Every single person on this earth can teach you something that you don't know or inspire you or tell you something which then goes off on a tangent and then it, you know, you open up into like a plethora of ideas or whatever um so whenever I meet someone new I'm like what is that thing that they can teach me that I can then reinvent or change in my life right so every single time I meet someone I'm like they have something they have even if it's like someone saying to me oh like you know my back hurts you should do yoga and then I started doing yoga and my back was amazing right like even if it's like a basic thing or it's a little baby which can teach you like humbleness and just like Uh, Like, you know, like just uh, like absolute, absolute love or something. So every single human being on this planet can teach you something or indirectly or directly. And if I have that thing about other people, I have it about me. Every single person I interact with, I can impact their lives in a positive way by just maybe a little snippet or saying, oh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, maybe you should read it. Or I listen to this podcast, um, or I'm reading this book, you know, or whatever it is, or there's this program, whatever it is, and then they like, it spirals an idea. But sometimes we just don't know what that thing is about each other. And it could be directly or indirectly, because I could connect somebody to somebody whether they need a solicitor or broker and they end up using this broker for the next five, 10 years and end up having an amazing relationship because I've connected to them. So I'm always willing to have a conversation with people. Um, but then again, like when you're in this industry, you do get, and you intend to talk about, there's a lot of ask holes and you do get a lot of energy drainers and yeah. sometimes people's yeah. energies just don't resonate with you mm-hmm. and you have to put a stop to it. So I block people all the time because for my headspace and my mental like headspace it is not right for me to engage or see the stuff that they're putting out or the rubbish or you know I used to follow a lot of travel people on Instagram and, and fitness things and then it started winding me up because I was like why am I not doing it and so I just unfollowed all of them and my headspace is in such a better place you know they've got millions of followers they don't need me as one so you know I, I truly do like think that like you know my headspace everyone's headspace mental space is way more important sometimes you have to keep someone's energy away from you even though they could educate you on something you know Mm. and I have family members that are like that and I really need to keep them as far away from me as possible yeah yeah. yeah, and it's just my energy is just you know it's sacred and I don't want to just give it to everyone but I'm always open to those conversations because like you said when I started off people gave me that time and gave me the energy But I was so driven. I was never an arsehole. I was always like, right, let me go find out. Boom, boom, boom. Let me do this. Um, And some people aren't. And, you know, this just is not everyone is as confident, as aggressive as us or had the failures to know that they can pick themselves up.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I if I remember correctly, I had to go through a bit of an application process myself to get you on the podcast, didn't I? You had to, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't just a firm yes. I remember. Whoa, I went for a bit of an interview with Dave here. She, she wants to know who I am. What's my podcast? Let me have a listen to a few episodes before I make a decision. Is this guy's energy right? <laughs>
1: Oh, no, it's so funny. It's a le- I'm so sorry. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not sorry. We should do this. We should I, I do this. agree with you. We should, we should educate people that we should do this. Look, like, you know, it's, it's about brand. Like, okay, so I know I shouldn't share that story because it's not my story to tell. But um, look, you've got a brand. I've got a brand. And say say you do something or I do something that goes against all of your values, all of your morals in two years, three years, five years time and say you're like, actually, I'm deleting that podcast with Davinda because it just didn't resonate or, you know, she's doing something in her life that I don't agree with. Fair enough right? You, that was something that you will do. And so I was just like, I don't know much about James Sohota. I know obviously like I heard about you through TED. Let me listen to his podcast and see what he's about. And actually like listen to your podcast, like you just shared right now about your, you know, liquidation and your cars being repossessed. I know of that because I've heard you say it in your stories. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. James is such an amazing story. And like, although we've never like no, not connected properly, um, and had that one-to-one, like you know like we've kind of talked about it and we connect with each other we see what each other are doing on social media and you kind of like have that uh, you know like you connect with that person um, yeah, and so that's what it's been with like with you and it was like I don't know nothing anything about him and and someone that was like it, it sounds really extreme but like misogynistic or racist I wouldn't be on their podcast you know I'm sorry yeah. like I don't want it that would I don't want to dampen my Values for someone else, and I'm not saying you're any of those things, but it was like, let me see your values, let me see what you're about, and um, listen to some of the podcasts. (laughs) I passed the test, (laughs) hey, and I got to hear your story, and I love that. And I was once in the car and I was listening to you and Ted just on a half an hour one about assholes, and I was. (laughs) <laughs> laughing hysterics the whole time you know and i never tuned into your zooms on a thursday at 10 a.m or 11 a.m when they were and i was kind of like oh man i wish i did like this is so witty um but yeah like you guys were just so funny and the energy and i was like i like james's energy that's cool yeah i want to be honest.
0: oh thank you i appreciate that generally when people ask ted what's james like he just says ah he's some old uncle that i know <laughs> yeah. that that's what he refers to me as and he's I'm like, like,
1: uncle james
0: <laughs> yeah uncle james Stop, what did, yeah, wait till you get married mate then you'll know what it's like being an uncle
1: he was like to me uncle but, james didn't know you were punjabi and i'm like what because <laughs> so <then he> <laughs> yeah. <him in> <laughs> i didn't
0: know because all i saw was dave and i thought oh she must be spanish or something
1: yeah <laughs> that's
0: funny Divinda, let me ask you a question so being a woman in property i've asked quite a few women this did you find you had any gender discrimination when you first started? Were builders looking at you kind of like, oh, here's a woman. I can charge her this. Or say, for example, when your granddad was there with you on the site, did you ever find that a builder was talking to the man over the woman?
1: No, no, never. never. I've never ever felt that. Um, I've never felt my gender has limited me from doing anything. Um yeah like I've done I've done male dominated things throughout my whole life uh I studied maths which was a male subject uh I did OTC so the army thing there were only 10% of women there um and I became like a section leader in my third year um I of being in property being in banking so never I've never ever felt I had a hindrance from um being a woman I just I guess like my aggressive attitude or like Oh, how do I say this nicely? Like my thing of wanting to put people in their place, which I'm tr- learning to rein in. So like, obviously when you're green and you, you just soak everything in. Um, and so I let my first builder really like, who was great. I, um, well, I, I'm talking about first builder when I started doing the HMA project. So out of the 11 that I've done so far, um, take the reins. And I really leaned on him quite a lot, but I loved his energy. I'm um, really like you know, really enjoyed what he was saying, actually, he went and viewed my property for me before I'd even instructed him. And I actually got my second offer accepted because he went, I told him to go view it for me. Um, So yeah, he was all about establishing relationships. And I just didn't get that sense of feeling from him. Um, And therefore, when I worked with other builders, I've never got that feeling from, you know, that they're trying to, because I'm a woman, are they trying to, you know, get one over me because I'm inexperienced, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Because I don't know anything about how a house works. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but not because I'm a woman. And I question everything. And if I don't understand something, I will make someone explain it to me in a way. I'm like, if you can't explain this to a five-year-old, you don't know it yourself. You know, that quote by Einstein. I'm like, you, you don't know it. I don't care. You don't know this. You need to explain this to me. And I don't need to know how to do the plumbing. I don't need to know how to do the electrics, but I know what a done up house should look like. And I know what things should do. So, um, yeah, I just always just make sure that I understand to a certain level, especially having you know been fobbed off by builders and been treated like a mug. You then start to like ask those questions and you know be skeptical and not so trusting of people and so mm-hmm. that's definitely mm-hmm. happened So before
0: I wrap this up, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you. PPN Knightsbridge, that went down a massive treat for you, didn't it? Because I, I wasn't, sadly, I couldn't come because I had no mm. childcare, but I, I did see snippets of it and it looked so, so amazing. How was that for you?
1: It was really, really good. It was, I was so nervous. It was my first time um, uh, speaking about my property journey, uh, doing a presentation full stop. I never did a presentation in banking or, you know, at university. Um And yeah, like I remember my marketing was on the point because we sold out the venue because I just put it everywhere on every social media platform. Um, And I'd like, there's this there's this like um, theory, this rule that I've come across, like people need to see something five times. I think Susanna Cole has mentioned this. People need to see Mm. something five times before they buy it or they commit to buying it. So I was like five times on Instagram, five times on LinkedIn, five times on Facebook. And so bloody hell, like I think, Pippa had to like close down the booking thing because there was like 100 tickets booked by and she was like I just have to lock it off no one can book now and so she like had to lock lock it off and it was really good like um I was really in my element um and just enjoyed like sharing my story you could I could tell from the faces in the like, like audience that people were resonating with me but I have to say it's a stark contrast to when I then spoke at Baker street property meet in February of this year. And I was so nervous, forgot all my jokes was not comfortable, was (laughs) cold. And that went really horrible. And it was only 12 minutes. And I followed Ted who was like, had all this energy and I have energy, but I was just like, I was like operating energy level two whilst he was like at, 80 you know (laughs) do you think
0: do you think it's because it's a different crowd i find at the ppn Knightsbridge event the one that ted has is quite a nice mix younger quirky type of crowd whereas over the other side it's normally a kind of a serious older type kind of more uh uh, experienced investor type person
1: yeah no i i want to say it was that it definitely wasn't it was me like I was okay. just, like super, super nervous. I was cold. I really needed to use the loo. Um, <laughs> I got, I got called on stage and I wasn't even mic'd up and they were like, everyone was clapping and I wasn't even there. Um, I looked back at my presentation and a lot of the formatting had gone and I freaked out and I was like, Oh my God, my presentation's messed up. And like, and it wasn't. And I just forgot all my jokes, you know, like my little, like little snippets. One liners. Yeah. Yeah. So that went really awful. <laughs>
0: So Davinda. lastly, if there's any, um, say if there's any young ladies out there listening who want to get into property uh, and they're in a similar situation to what you were, where their pot is zero, they need to start raising money. They need to start speaking to investors. What's a couple of tips you could give them?
1: Yeah, like it's, it's not even if your pot is zero, if you have a lack of like knowledge or something, anything, anytime there's a hurdle right? We just have to find the tools to jump over the hurdle. There's always, always going to be hurdles. And if you can just do that, where, when it comes to like, educating yourself about property or raising investor funds, um, or just getting acquainted with certain things, it's be- going to become easier when all these hurdles pop up when you're doing property projects. Like, as you know, there's always hurdles, sometimes you always have to amend plans. And you can, you know, I put a post up this on, a post about this on social media, you I can like, plan everything, The dot to the T, but if something's going to break down and something's not going to work, it's just not going to work. So there's always hurdles that come up, but it's always about learning how to jump over the hurdles. Um, there's I always think like there's I came across this like um, line that someone has said to me, and I love using it like, there's always a solution to every problem, and so Mm -hmm. when you have that, like. There's a solution to every single problem and somebody that you're not connected to or that you are connected to can help you. So it's about having those structured conversations, you know, spending that 10, 15 minutes. What is it that the other person can educate me or teach me on? Um, And yeah, just kind of like, just being really motivated and driven um, with whatever your goal is, whether it's in property or not in property or life goals or reading a book a week or something. I don't know.
0: No, that's some really sound advice. If you could go back to when you were 18, what's one bit of advice you'd give yourself?
1: Oh, that's a that's a good one. When I was 18. <laughs> oh, I've just done so much, though. Um, I guess I haven't come across the the term, like, like the idea of not living a life with regrets because when you're 18, you're so young and you just think like you're going to do everything. Um, But if I had known that like there were things that I might end up not doing and regretting those, like just always just like fill up each day as much as possible and just, just do things and be like motivated and driven to achieving anything and just not let anybody else you know like tell you no because if they tell you no it's probably their own insecurities that are coming out rather than your own um so yeah just not to live a life with regrets and just to do everything because doing stuff like it just fills up you know memories and time and days so like if I look back on things that I regret is the things that I haven't done not the things that I did do wow wow so,
0: that's some sound advice <laughs> lastly what's one vice or guilty pleasure or naughty habit you just can't live without
1: I can clock a packet of cookies every day. I love chocolate chip cookies. Are
0: you serious? A whole pack, yeah?
1: A whole pack. Wow.
0: Is that in one sitting or is Um, that like, have a cookie, come back, have a cookie?
1: Maryland cookies. Oh I'm yeah, like, oh, they're so delicious. Double
0: chocolate chip.
1: <laughs> yeah, or not even the double chocolate chip, because even the cho- even the standard, you know, the red packet is delicious. So that's my vibes <laughs> Chocolate, chocolate chip cookies.
0: <laughs> oh wow! Well, I've had some. I've had some really odd ones when I've asked that question before. So some have been quite rude. Some have been ones that I haven't been able to share by some of the guys. But yeah, that's a that's a good one. The that's
1: so funny. <laughs> I've heard Craig Sullivan. He was like, "Right move, zupppla'm <laughs> <I'm> Like. <Yeah. laughs> I'm like, where is your life if you are right with Zupla? I regularly don't even use the apps on my phone that they get put into the cloud and I have to reinstall them.
0: Yeah. So David, where where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Where are you most active and what platforms?
1: Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, just with the Insta story that I do, um, and yeah, just like with the posts that I put up. So Instagram's probably the best what way to connect with me. Um yeah, I mean, there's obviously Facebook and LinkedIn, but there's probably like 500 unread messages in my LinkedIn that I haven't got through. Um, so yeah, Instagram is probably the quickest and easiest way to get hold of me.
0: What is your VA doing? Are you not reading your messages?
1: Oh, I see. I don't have a VA for the LinkedIn. I have a yeah, that's a good. That's something I need. I need a VA VA for some other bits. I've got a VA for like my bookkeeping and accounting stuff. Boring admin
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) stuff that you don't want to do
1: yeah exactly
0: well davinda thank you so much for joining me uh and i know you're joining us on our hmo live experience i I suppose i think you're joining us day five right the last day
1: i think i might be yeah Yeah, when is is it roughly scheduled to be james
0: oh no you're going away on your thing aren't you well possibly possibly It's it's not till december Oh, so, okay. it'll be, so, we're getting you in right at the end when yeah. everything is finished. But yeah, for the guys on our HMO experience day, Davinda's going to be coming down and doing a talk. And, uh, you know, she's done many a HMO. So, and you average, just wrapped up
1: HMO day two, right?
0: We did, yeah, just last Saturday. And we're doing HMO day three this Saturday. And oh, Craig wow. Sullivan's on that one. So, that's a really exciting one. Cool. And we had Safe Rehan on day two. And I don't know if you're connected with Safey.
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I know who he is. I'm not sure what like what, how he it, operates and what his strategy is. But Clay Sullivan, I'm a massive fan of.
0: Oh, he's great. If you mm. ever get half an hour with Safe and he shows you how he does his figures, you will be simply blown away. Really? Like every other person was in the room. This guy is probably the most in-depth figure guy I've ever seen in my life. But nice. uh, Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll probably end up talking for four for hours here. But yeah, Davinda, once again, thank you so much for joining me on the J2 Hub podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got it in and I reckon it's going to be an awesome episode for people to listen to.
1: Thanks for having me, James.
0: No worries. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.